You gotta know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting. When the dealing's done. Why aren't you singing this morning? Why aren't you because singing? that's much too low for me. Oh. <laughs> You've got a low voice. You can I have a low voice, low voice, but not baby. like that. I have a Karen Carpenter kind of low voice. Okay. Good morning, We're everybody. It is January si- It is January 16th. It is a Sunday morning. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. 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 And you have across the table from me is... Cece. And... You are? JT. You're throwing everything off this morning. Yeah, I'm just not really good this morning. <laughs> uh, welcome to our writer's podcast. This is uh, CC and JT Amateur Hour, where production values go to die. We are uh, two boomers who have attempted the writing thing. We're not very successful. So we do a writer's podcast basically to set an example of what not to do. <laughs> well, that's one way of looking at it. Well, we, you know, We're maybe just... sometimes our role in life is to be an example of what not to do, of not, not who to be. So, you know. Oh, I don't know. I mean, the fact that we keep trying says mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. instead of completely so, giving up. So And so far, we're so dating ourselves with this podcast, so I'll do it again. We're the Ralph Cramdom of writers. We <laughs> We, oh, oh yeah, yeah. The we, we, we keep trying we keep trying hey roughly hey roughly <laughs> okay anyway uh we keep trying uh, and hey so alice someday, to the moon yeah maybe someday more than two or three people will read our books well yeah you really only need to catch one or two people we're not in it to become yeah. multi-millionaires because that comes with its own issues yeah. even though it would be nice to pay off a few bills yeah it would be nice just like everybody we got bills and it would be nice to deal with some of those but on the flip side yeah yeah well we're also looking at hopefully maybe making a little money in the future so that we can leave our dreary day jobs behind and to you know go into somewhat retirement yeah <laughs> Yeah, we'll somewhere. see. Hopefully. Okay, so th- that was the picker-upper portion of the program. No, that's just our background. Just our background. So uh, we're going to do some very quick housekeeping because we really don't have any real housekeeping, do Not we? Not much going on. We're <laughs> in that kind of the doldrums after the holidays. Yeah. Uh, I've got a real doldrums going on with the writing. I'm not writing or editing right now, which I should probably get to. But right now, I'm just not feeling the pressure or the internal pressure that I always place on myself, so I figure if I'm not if I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to push it. Meh. Seems reasonable. Those books are not going to go anywhere. They will stay there. As, as you've heard in previous podcasts, I have two manuscripts, and I'd like to get at least one out the door and up on the, get up the, you know out there for everybody. But right now, I'm just sort of meh. When you get there, when you get there, get there and get there. And the other housekeeping thing is, is again for if you are a diabetic or you know a diabetic, we. I certainly do recommend the continuous glucose monitor, the CGM, because it's given us a great deal more knowledge of what what, what we're eating. Not only what I'm eating, but what you're eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're finding that, uh, you know, the tricks of the trade that the food industry does to persuade us to eat food. For instance, uh, if you order something with a tortilla, it's going to be mostly tortilla. Yes. It's a lot of tortilla. And not a carb-friendly tortilla, because and, those are an item that you can get. Yes. And we do make uh, kind of a wrap sandwich out of a carb-friendly tortilla, which mm-hmm. 
Still has carbs, but you have to balance your carbs and your protein. But, uh, and I should say also that the carb-free tortilla, uh, when made with a wrap and made with other things, you really don't notice the difference. Really, the tortilla, God-given's mission is just to hold food together. So Well, and the, uh, you know, people can make wraps out of things like lettuce leaves and stuff. So if you're really not into, people may have gluten issues and stuff where they can't have wheat products. So... There are a variety of dietary issues that uh, our restaurants and fast food can be very problematic for. And the other thing we learned, of course, is sugar-free doesn't mean that it isn't sweet. You know, there's a, no. there's a million f- versions of sweetener, sweeteners out there from, you know, corn oil to, uh, su- to dextrose. sucrose, dextrose. Uh, you know, what was the, what was the sugar sweetener I was using? Splenda. Splenda. You know, so which on and I so think forth. is sucralose. Yeah, so it's all of those are correct in saying that they are quote unquote sugar free, but well, and I think there is a misnomer in packaging sometimes where it might say sugar free, but it has natural sugar in it. What they yeah. should be saying is no sugar added. Yeah, so it's these are all phrases and of course um these are things that we learned as uh, as i started using the continuous glucose monitor the cgm so if you do know somebody who is diabetic uh they you know it's it, it is not it is not uh it is not uncomfortable i want to say you after you put it put it in put it on you know the monitor or, or the probe. actually what we should explain is what it the the portion that you wear is a little plastic, I believe, mm-hmm. disc right. with a needle attached to it. Very thin needle. Very thin that... needle. And it has a pretty strong, I'm guessing, medical grade adhesive on it yep. that um, you actually have to use rubbing alcohol or an mm-hmm. alcohol swab to get off. It's worn for two weeks for this particular model. No, no, no. It's uh... 14 days, two weeks. Is it two weeks? Yeah, you wear it for two weeks. Yeah, I wear it. It's a 14 right. day. Yeah, yeah, right. It's a 14 day. Yeah. So and... the. Uh, that the part that's actually in your body is replacing the needle sticks. So instead of doing multiple sticks per day, you're doing one stick that basically stays there for two weeks. And after you put it in there, and after after a few minutes of not thinking about it, it it's it's not even a concern. And really, um, I did a I did a needle stick the other day just to confirm the uh, probe, and it's like you know what. I don't miss those at all. Mm. <laughs> now, it can be very painful on the the tip of the finger. Yeah, well, after a while, and also the bruising and everything the calluses like that. The and cal- yeah, just, yeah, scarring. Yeah, so so we uh, definitely, excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, so definitely we recommend the, uh, we definitely recommend the CGM. Okay. It is an eye-opener, for yep. sure. Uh, don't think we have any other thing. We don't have any trips planned. We don't have anything. We're just, you know, with the... The horrendous rise in Omicron cases is just, you know, we're just, we're just going to be homebodies for a while. Waiting things out, which is probably one of the best things to do right now, if it's possible. Still have to go to the day job occasionally, at least, but uh, we're both fortunate in that we're not really frontline workers. And we have to give a shout out to everybody who has been working on the front lines for the last two plus years yeah, now going into our third year here and we were we were ta- thinking about you guys this morning and it's like, yes you know. we really appreciate the work that you're doing we know you're not getting paid nearly enough for the stress that you're enduring and hopefully you're safe and you're healthy okay uh, anything absolutely else before we go into our subject today we actually have a writing subject today we actually we've been on a string of writing subjects but we yes. we were doing it uh today we're going to talk about um 
iconic writer, Elmore Leonard. Mm-hmm. Uh, if um, You may not have heard of him, but he really is an iconic American writer. He's an institution, actually, probably. And uh, we're going to talk about his 10 rules of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think they're very good rules, but uh, we're going to go ahead and break them down here a little bit. So, And they are all, all over the internet. So yes. While uh, Cece here is going over his very quick biography... Uh, if you want to bring up the 10 rules and follow along with us, please feel free. So uh, They're very easy to find. Just put in Elmore Leonard's 10 rules of writing. So, uh, and so, as I said, a quick biography of Mr. Mr. Leonard. So, Elmore John Leonard Jr. was born in uh, October of 1925. He was an American novelist, short story writer, and screenwriter. So, he had a varied career. He started with westerns but moved on to crime fiction because when he first started in the 1950s, westerns were all the rage. Uh, Louis L'Amour and people like that. So he started out that way. He um, he did spend time in the United States Navy as a CB in World War II. Construction uh, battalion. Yes. So he was a petty officer third class, 1943 to 1946. So throughout the war, mm-hmm. uh, or the American the end involvement of the yeah. in the war. Um, he's best known for works like Get Shorty, which I think most people are, uh, people are familiar with, Out of Sight, Swag, Ombre, Mr. Majestic, and Rum Punch. Um, some of his short stories became the fil- films 310 to Yuma and The Tall T, as well as the FX television series Justified. Okay. I did not know that. I did not know that. I didn't know the 310 to Yuma thing. Yeah, and uh, he did graduate from... The University of Detroit Jesuit High School. Interesting. Mm. He was rejected by the Marines, but joined the Navy. He had poor eyesight, so the Marines wouldn't take him. And he spent time in the South Pacific. Let's see. His career, obviously, he started in the 50s. He passed away in 2013, and I believe he was pretty much writing up until the end of his life. So uh, if you're not familiar with his name, you're probably familiar with his works. Yep. So, um, and just, uh, and though he, uh, and though he was like a genre writer, you know, yes. obviously westerns uh, started out know, as westerns. Yeah. He, uh, his, his prose, his, his work, his technique uh, was recognized in literary circles. So yes. he, he, he is not, you know, what we would call like a dime store novelist. Though, no. You know, uh, he was actually he was a quote unquote real. Writer. Well, we're all real writers, but kind of my point more being, of the literary tradition than yeah, the he's pulp more, novels he's more, or something. Yeah, more of a literary than anything. So, and really, I think the difference between a literary author and a pulp author is the the format and the output. Right. In some ways, you know, we've talked about Stephen King a few times. In some ways, some of his works could be considered pulp novels because of the speed and the. Yeah. You know, it's not that he's not a literary giant. Yeah, and you know what? Let's take a quick divergence and let's have our good let's have our morning laugh and talk very very quickly about <laughs> George R R Martin and Stephen King. And I'm going to impose on uh CC here to give the exact quote and circumstance. You're going to love this, folks. So exact. I'm, okay, it's it will be close to an exact quote. I can't say it's perfect, but George R.R. R. Martin and Stephen King were on a panel discussion. The two of them were on stage together. And I guess the situation came about that George R.R. R. Martin was asked if he had any questions to ask Mr. King. Okay, and I'm sorry, we, 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 everybody knows Stephen King. Just right. very quickly, George R.R. R. Martin is Game, Game of, of Thrones. Game of Thrones. And I think most people really know well, who let, George R.R. Let, R. 
Let's and I will say briefly that I did go to a conference, the World Science Fiction Convention in Reno at one point. George R. R. Martin was on stage. So it was an interesting conversation. He had some connection with Reno. I believe he got married there. Okay. So um, anyway, but anyway so back to the Steve, story. Stephen King, of course, prolific writer. Yes, everybody uh, George knows. George R. Martin, the opposite. Okay, well, moving on. <laughs> yes, everybody who has followed Game of Thrones knows that George R. R. Martin is not a speedy writer. I believe I don't know that he's even finished off the series yet. Yeah. I think the uh, the filmed version may have gone beyond what he had written, but he was asking Mr. King. Um, let me see if I can remember close to the quote. I put in a good six months work and wrote three chapters. In that m amount of time, you've probably put out three books. How the fuck do you do that? <laughs> Pardon my French. <laughs> I can only imagine what Mr. King's reaction would have been. He probably was. He was probably a lot cracking. of laughter. I'm he sure he was probably cracking up. You can find it online. I can't remember. I believe it was around 2013. Um, if you want to find out the exact quote, because it was very funny. It really caught my attention, because I think a lot of us who write can really empathize with yeah. George R. R. Martin in this situation where it's like we struggle and struggle. In the meantime, Stephen King has come out with like the Green Tower or whatever, which yeah. Yeah, multiple three books and and Hollywood has made three movies and right? he's the executive producer <laughs> on all three of them and it's like Steve, how seriously? the hell did you do that? And he has Stephen King does have a very, I guess he gets up, he writes, and then he goes off and does other things. A lot of very prolific authors do that. They have a very specific, oh what was it, Margaret Atwood or somebody or. Mm -hmm. I can't remember who it was, but uh, there is a writer's schedule that's going around. It's a female author and uh, talks about, you know, she gets up, she kind of piddles around for a couple of hours, she writes for a couple of hours, and then she's worthless for the rest of the day. Yeah. So the idea of sitting down writing eight to five is not realistic, and it's not how most authors work. And we talked about that, you know, we talked about the last pod, two podcasts in, in the, the routines and the, the you know turning on the creative spout and sometimes it just those those two things don't work out together. Right. Okay, so we went off track, but man, I we had that to tell that story. That's, we had to tell that story. Okay, so back. I didn't do it justice either. So if you want to look up the clip, it's really funny. Okay, so, so we're back, back to, to Elmore Leonard. Leonard's ten rules for good writing. So uh, so we're just going to go down the list, and uh, we're probably just going to say, oh yeah, um, and. Um, the first one I think is is, is obvious is, is never open a book with weather. It's like it's like that's weather unless you know I, weather I, well, weather if, weather figured into one of my books. Yes, weather figured into my books, but I didn't open with weather. Well, I think in that situation, it depends. I mean, generally, I think I agree with that. But if weather is a major factor in the story, like it's an old man in the sea kind of situation where, you know, it's man mm -hmm. versus nature type of thing, I think it's okay well, when I, done correctly. 
Well, I, yeah, but done correctly, because what I'm thinking here, and again, we all we have is the list. We don't have the background of the list or Mr. Leonard's thoughts, but what I'm thinking here is that the reason that, you don't, that he is suggesting that we don't open with her is because that's, that's a form of passive writing. Yes. You, you know, because, because, you know, Joe looked up at the blue sky and saw clouds. I can see that, why it's, right. it's that, that would be passive. And you don't want to open with a passive situation because weather is something that we all can relate to and it's something that could be built into the plot which leads us to the second point but i'm not disagreeing with what you're saying mm -hmm. i've just seen what i think is uh his point being is that it it's starting off the book in a passive way yes and you want to you and all i was that. saying is that there are exceptions to every rule so basically if your story revolves around weather mm -hmm. it's not going to be a bad thing if you're setting the scene so to speak but uh, this kind of goes along with, I believe it's the old uh, Bulwer-Lytton literary. It's like some of the worst writing ever, and it starts with, it was a dark and stormy dark. night. Yeah. So that kind of ties into some of the worst fiction ever, like the worst first line ever is like, yeah. it was a dark and stormy night. So yeah. keep it in mind. Remember that all these rules are not set in stone. Yeah, you they're can, all relative. You need to know the rules, but you can break the rules. Yes. Which brings us to the second one, which I also agree with. Um, and I think I'm pretty much going to agree with everything here. I, I might have some nit noise, but um, the second rule is avoid prologues. And that I agree with because um, things, can be, uh, things can be built into the book. So you don't need a prologue. You don't need to set it up. You can build it into the book as part of character development, as part of scene development, as part... and. The, my weak, probably my weak part is plot exposition. It can be built into plot exposition. Sometimes I go, I go too deep into plot exposition because I get into a get into a role here, and prologue is a. I get into a role of writing, mm -hmm. um, and plot exposition and prologue are this basically the same thing. So if you yes. can, if you're going to do plot exposition, do it as part of the character development. Don't you know? Don't. Uh, do it as part of the, the beginning. Now, again, these aren't a hard set rule. No. Um, you know, because, uh, you know, many famous books have fantastic prologues. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the prologues are more entertaining than the book itself. But I, but I agree with this rule that mm -hmm. the skillful writer can put the prologue in the book. Right. I think what you're saying is instead of having exposition-heavy scenes, what you need to do is sprinkle it throughout. Mm -hmm. And it's more interesting that way because you're getting little... For example, we watched an excellent movie last night, mm -hmm. Shang-Chi. 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 Shang I apologize for butchering the name, but the uh, a lot of the story, very specifically, it did flashbacks to mm -hmm. the character development. So right. instead of doing a prologue or a full prologue, it kind of threw... Um, character development and background into right. the story itself. And it was... It was the, the flashbacks and the background were timed at this part so the plot where they were most pertinent right which which is you know which is good writing I and but to be, to be honest I felt that was when the, the, the movie dragged the it most it slowed down yes the, but it you slowed the movie the... down but it was necessary but it still slowed the movie down right. and sometimes that does that so uh, I think that it was a two hour and something min hour minute movie they could have chopped out like 10 minutes in my opinion to tighten it up a little bit because but that's just my opinion I'm being nit knowing now so uh, well, there is also the fact that I know for myself, there have been movies where I felt they were too short and they could have used a little bit more detail. Yeah. Um, it's a balance. So, yeah, there is, it's a very delicate balance. You have to find just the right 
amount to put in. Okay, I'm going to say three and four together because three and four are... are Related. Related. So number three is never use a verb other than said to carry dialogue. Yes. And never use an adverb to modify the verb said he admonished gravely. You know, uh, uh, I love that. that. that and that's, that's also a Stephen King rule yes. in his book. He's... Uh, so Mr. Mr. Leonard and Mr. King are in agreement here that, and I agree with that too. I agree. With, I when I do that, I have to think about it. I have to mull it because I will do that if I have a point that I want to emphasize, which I did in my current book. But generally, ninety nine percent of the time, he said, she said. And going into the whole, he said, she said. You don't have to use said a lot either, as long as the reader knows who is speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, basically, you know, the main character what they're saying, what they're saying. Yes. So that part of the um, what they're saying and how they're saying it comes into the uh, situation that they're in and their character. You know their character, and you know how their character would say something. So an example, a really good example of that would probably be Hermione Granger from Harry Potter, because in the early books they set it up that she's kind of a know-it-all. So when she says things, you kind of can imagine her saying it in a, oh, well, I found this out in Hogwarts of History, which she says repeatedly. But you you start hearing her voice in your head. So you don't have to add, mm-hmm. you know, that she was um, Prim, or pr- primly, yes, primly. something like that, where it was like, or knowingly, knowingly, yeah. knowingly is oh, the one I was going God. for. Oh, dear God, we are so insane. How long have we been married now? <laughs> Jeez. I'm, Way too long, apparently. Yeah, well, I'm filling. We're not only are we filling in each other's sentences. I'm actually knowing the word you're looking for. That's a good thing because otherwise I'll be searching for it all day. Okay, um, number five made me laugh. And um, keep your exclamation points under control. You're you are allowed no more than two or three per one hundred thousand words of prose. Again, that's the skillful writer. You know. Yes, no. you're giving. You don't need the punctuation because you are giving the sense that somebody is excited about something. So instead of saying it excitedly with an exclamation point or numerous exclamation points, you just, you know, from the the situation that they're in, you can tell that they are exclaiming or retorting or, you know, shouting. My personal rule is, is, is I save exclamation points when somebody's life is in danger. Mm. Somebody's watch life, out! Watch out! You know, yeah. but when somebody's life is in danger, uh, and you know, my also personal rule is, uh, is 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 in those stressful situations, my sentences get much shorter. Oh yes, my short my sentences get shorter, and the syntax might be off because yeah. you're stressed, so you're dropping words. You're dropping words, so I'm sh- I'm shortening sentences, and uh, um, very rarely do I use exclamation points because um, again, that's. Uh, it just it it just it may knock the the reader out of the out of the moment. And if you think about a lot of how people communicate currently through texts or emails, probably more texts this day than anything else. Sometimes they will add a half a dozen or more exclamation points plus emojis, yeah. and you know it's kind of overdone. You kind of know why they're doing it because it's a communication between people. But in your writing, you don't want to see that. 
Okay. Uh, this one I so to totally... I'm going to stop saying that I agree with this because I really <laughs> I really do agree with all of these. Uh, never use the word suddenly or all hell broke loose. Well, duh. <laughs> suddenly all hell broke loose. Yeah, sudden, yeah. or all hell broke loose. Uh, seven. Use, that one stands by itself. Yes. Um, use regional dialect patois sparingly. And that is a good one. It can be very jarring to try to read something that isn't just spelled out normally. And, uh, well, I guess, you know, whatever we call our American English, you know, whatever your, your language is, if it's obviously set up to be some kind of an accent or a regional dialect, it stops the motion of the story, basically. It's like the what you were mentioning earlier, where you're adding the, the flashbacks and it mm -hmm. kind of slows the story down. I think this does the same thing. It slows and, it down. And, the, and a, a example, of course, is either like soda pops or, uh, right. you know, soda pop. What, you know, what, what region are you from when you're talking mm -hmm. about soda pop? And then the other one I want to talk about is, um, you know, a Subway sandwich. Um, a hoagie or a... A hoagie or a poor boy or yeah. things like that. But this is but, also... Actually, when you said poor boy, mm -hmm. so it's P-O-O-R, poor boy, and not P-O apostrophe, po boy. Po boy. That's kind of the type of thing yeah. that you want to avoid. But it also you also want to avoid, because using a kind of dialect or using a kind of language also can inadvertently reveal a time period that you don't want to, especially if you want your book to be uh, timeless. You, timeless. Yeah. Because I made a mistake in one of my books saying that one of the characters uh, liked the Backstreet Boys, which at the time they were very popular but now people would go, who? Yeah, they'd be going into BTS or something, some K-pop. You know, type something of thing. like that. I mean, and so you have to be careful not only with the regional dialect, but you have to also be very careful with with uh, popular culture because things go by. You know, Star Wars is eternal. Mm -hmm. James Bond is eternal. Yes. But you know, musical bands. Uh, if you even if you use something like uh, you know Led Zeppelin or forgive me, David Bowie, who's dead. Yes. You know, you, you, if you're going for a certain time period, then and, or so if you're going for a certain time period, mm -hmm. then cultural references, cult, popular cultural references, and dialogue are entirely appropriate. Yes. But if you are looking for something timeless, which was the book that I was going for, uh, then that's a mistake, and that's something that, uh, as a technique, writers need to be cognizant of. Right, and it's as you pointed out about the boy bands and everything. There are also certain phrases. Mm -hmm. um, there's slang that's used at certain time periods, so like slamming. Oh, no, oh, angry cat. Yes. Angry cat is another example like that, which for a while... Grumpy for, cat. Pardon me? Grumpy cat. Grumpy cat. It's angry birds and grumpy See, cat. See, I, I got it wrong and it, was, it, it wasn't that long ago, but right. I was just realizing the other day, uh, you, because you had, uh, you, you pulled it out uh, at grumpy cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Valentine card the other day and it's like boy it's been years since I've thought about that whereas right. at the time it was you, everywhere you couldn't get away from Grumpy Cat so right. again so popular culture uh, popular culture um, fads mm -hmm. and uh, dialects and patois mm -hmm. I love that word patois <laughs> uh, you gotta be careful of because you will be dating your book if you unless you're yes. intending to do that and you also have to be careful if you're not familiar with it because you can be using incorrect terminology for which, something that... Which I just did. Angry Cat versus Grumpy Cat. Yes. And I, I see what happened with that because Angry Birds was also very popular for a period of time. Right. So it was like the Grumpy Cat and the Angry Birds. So, okay. But you you just have to watch out for it. Yeah, unless that is your intent. Right. Uh, number eight. We're up to number eight. Avoid detailed descriptions of characters. This one I... 
I, I, I adhere to like there's no tomorrow. I let the, I, the, I think this is also a Stephen King thing or something that I went to. I may have learned in uh, one of the writing classes I went to, but it's, I think that this one is ab absolutely correct because I like, I like to give just a general framework and then try to fill it in. I saw, I saw somebody on the internet the other day say something like, it really screws up my mind when in, late in the book a writer describes their character. Mm, and it's because like, because they already have a Because you already, already have the image in your mind. Uh, so I do not describe my characters a lot. I give a general framework uh, and then let folks f fill it in. And an example of that being a problematic goes back to Harry Potter. And it was all over the place where they describe in great detail the color of Harry Potter's eyes in the books. Daniel Radcliffe's eyes do not match Harry Potter's eyes and he could not wear contact lenses. It would have been very expensive for them to digitally change his eye color. So there was an uproar for quite a while saying, well, he's great, but his eyes don't match. Well, the, the and, entire character selection, or the entire, I want to be say, careful I say this, uh, matching the actors to to the characters, I think, you can know, be very problematic. Is the, was one of the weakest parts of the movie. But, you know, that, something because, you know, because the, the Golden Three, first of all, they did not match their their the oh, no. figures. Not even, and Snape was way too okay. We're going yes. off track. We're going off track here. But that's the whole point is yeah. when you describe the character in that much yeah. detail in the book, right? Your readers have a very particular vision of them. Right. If they're adhering to the vision that you've put in the book, and then you know, if you're lucky enough to get an adaptation on TV or mm -hmm. in the movies, all of a sudden it's going to throw people off. So. It's better to let people, the whole idea I think behind this is that you let the reader use their imagination as right. much as possible right. because it's going to relate to their own situation. Which leads us right into number nine and which is something I also do. Uh, and I'll explain why in a second. Uh, don't go into great detail describing places and things. Right. And I, I agree with that also because again, it's 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 supposed to be a trip of the imagination, mm -hmm. and uh, and I want the writers to fill it in, but also I prefer that my stories be more character driven than place driven, or in one of my manuscripts, technology driven. I don't really want to get into the techno speak, but I also do not want to get into you know describing um, you know just places over and over and over again because you characters are going to be moving around and you don't want to describe every single place that they're into with any great detail but also if people are reading my books then they already have probably a fairly good idea of what the places look like now there's i made exceptions to that uh, for example in my character about a social worker mm -hmm. uh, i don't think that the general public has a real good idea what it's like to work in a public servant service environment right. and they may be surprised that how you know how poor you know the lowest bitter environment is where child social workers you know uh, you know cps child protective service workers have to work in right. not only where their offices are but mm -hmm. the places they go into then it's you i i don't think the general public has a real handle on that and i think that they that if they did they, they would be amazed. And so I did go into that kind of description because that was out. But generally, for another series of books, I didn't do much of descriptions at all because, right. you know, it, you know, it, it just wasn't relevant. It wasn't relevant to the plot. And you bring up a good point about your Child Protective Services books because I think police procedurals are very popular. And they do go into a lot of techno speak and everything because, like you said, the general public doesn't know a lot about that line of work. They only know 
basically what they've seen on TV or read in book, not you know. And, like and, Mr. and I think they and I think they assume a lot that they, they don't do. know that really that you know the, the the child protect the CPS worker may be either you know a golden knight on a white stallion or the wicked witch from you know the wicked witch from Wizard of Oz. Right, but and they're just people. That and that's not true. Right, but anyway, uh, not going into those books. But but the whole point is that uh, you don't want to go into too much detail. But there are always times when that becomes a little bit necessary to help with the story right so again know the rule but you can break the rule as long as you understand it right basically if everybody has the common experience it's not necessary and you prefer not to go into too much detail about your own experience because you want the reader to take you know it it has to really resonate with them personally right and they do that by exercising their imagination which is what you want in an ideal situation because if then they are exercising their imagination then they're empathizing with the book and they're 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 traveling with you on the journey through the book that you've written which is what you actually want yes um rule number 10 and then there's actually rule number 11 but the rule number 10 is try to leave out the part the readers tend to skip and this is probably the weak part because I get into plot exposition and re- re- readers do not like a lot of exposition. Uh, and I try to overcome that with uh, character-driven books because I figure if I'm doing exposition, if I'm doing exposition about maybe the characters and that I haven't given a lot of details up front, maybe that part, they're actually interested in that part, but it's a struggle. And that really resonated with me because I do... I will try to read as much as possible of a book the first time through, even those really long paragraphs where sometimes it just stops your eye and you're going, oh, I don't want to read this. And it's like the flashbacks in the movies where it's like it stops the story. Mm -hmm. So I will admit there are books because I tend to read older ones and older ones tend to be more dense that um, I will skip paragraphs occasionally. But usually I've read them through at least once. And with the amount of time that people have right now, they tend to speed through books no matter what. Everybody's always reading constantly and they don't want to go through that dense prose. So you're doing both yourself and your readers a favor if you're keeping it to a minimum. Yeah, and that's the Hemingway do, way of doing business is, you know, just just if you've, uh, the, the Old Man in the Sea, we mentioned mm-hmm. this earlier uh, as a, a part of the weather thing, but the Old Man of the Sea just barrels on through just zoom. It just yes. zooms on through. The old man captures the fish and then wrestles with the fish. And there, there's no need for exposition because right. we know we already know there, there's 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 four things at play here. Mm-hmm. There's the old man. There's the boat. There's the fish. And there's the sea weather. Right. Sea slash weather. Yep. And so you don't need exposition. You don't need no a, a lot of background. You don't need a lot of plot exposition. Uh, and the book is just is crafted so well that way, and it's mm-hmm. a very thin book, and it's a, it's a very I read it, I read first read this is funny, um, you mentioned me last time you know coming back from the Air Force, mm-hmm. you know uh, I did my laundry in a laundromat over on Highway 50, mm-hmm. and while that my laundry was being done, I read the old man in the sea while I was there, <laughs> so the whole thing the whole it's. It's it took not, that little time. It's not it, well. That's the Hemingway doing right. business is just you know barreling on through things. And but you know he he definitely agrees with Mister Leonard's rules mm-hmm. or Mister Mister Leonard agrees with Mister Hemingway. Yes. Uh, you know it, you know they're, they're contemporaries, mm-hmm. but still um, th- that the old man in the sea is the perfect example of almost every single rule here, including the part don't write out the parts where the, the readers t- tend to skip. And I can think of an opposite of that. One of our kids was reading The Grapes of Wrath, Mm. you know, Steinbeck. 
and there's a scene about a turtle or something crossing the road where it's written out in incredible detail. And she constantly complained about why did we have to know that much about the turtle crossing the road? It's a, you meta- know? It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor, but it obviously took her out of the story. Right. And I mean, that was assigned reading at school, which is a totally different thing than reading for fun. Mm-hmm. If you're reading that book for fun, that might be something totally different. But when you're doing it at school, it's kind of like, oh, really? Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and Steinbeck, you know, he was great with his descriptions, but it was a lot more dense than, as you said, Hemingway. Okay, and then rule number 11, and this is, I'm just going to read this. My most important rule is one that sums up the 10. If it sounds like writing, I rewrite it. That's good. very true. That's a good rule, too. But uh, so... Um, I like all of these guys. I like all of the all of these rules. Uh, I see, uh, and I see these rules in play in uh, novels that I've read, uh, and I see these rules in play for bad books that I've read. There were uh, last year or the year before. I think it was twenty twenty. I went out to the internet and I told people on Twitter. I told independent writers that I will spend fifty dollars, mm-hmm. fifty dollars on uh, independent books, and yes. I did too. Mm-hmm. And so people were sending me links, and I was opening up these books, and it's like, some were good. I finished some. Mm-hmm. And they got reviews. Yes. And some were just, just had no, just, you know, and I want to be very careful I say this, because uh, they were breaking rules left and right, mm-hmm. which, you know, is a good thing and a bad thing, but the breaking rules in these independent books that uh, were obviously not edited and, right. uh, you know... Uh, and I can't, and I have to be careful here about pretending to take the higher road because I put up books that could have been edited better and it's like, oh, that's a terrible thing to do. Well, and even and, if you do edit it, things always slip through, but there are obvious differences. There's obvious differences, but so the technique and so people, people were just making mistakes that, how shall I say this, in baseball, unearned runs, you know, just uh, that were, that are caused by mistakes by the other teams. Mis- these were mistakes that didn't have to be made, and that it could have been picked up in polishing. Could have been picked up uh, by having like a you know independent viewer editors and things like that. that then simply weren't done. So, uh, and I understand why people do that. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm looking down on folks or taking the higher road. But I did not finish those books, and they did not get reviews because I I don't want to put a review out there that you know that will turn somebody off. I'm I'm always scared. How do I want to say this? I don't, I don't want to cut off someone's writing career because yes. they receive a bad review. So this book was bad. So this was a snapshot in time. Not the next book may not be bad. And we right. need those books out there. Well, and I will say that there are some books that have been atrocious on the editing front where mm. I've opened them up and gone, oh my gosh, every other word is misspelled or misused. But I still finished them mm-hmm. in some cases because they had interesting characters and mm. In that sense, they were actually well-written. So, yes, it's better if you're not taking your reader out by, you know, using their T-H-E-I-R versus T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E. You know, the English language is complex. And, um, you know, you need to be careful about those kinds of things. They do slip through. But I will say that a well-developed story and character-driven story will still hold your attention through the whole book, even though you're wincing every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't want your readers wincing. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So, okay, so we're done with Mr. Leonard's 10 rules. We will go ahead and post this on our website and when we send it out on social media and stuff like that so you can see for yourself. What do you think? What is? How about these rules? What, what do you think about them? To me, they're common sense. They mm-hmm. speak to Mr. Leonard's uh, experience as a member of the CBs. 
uh, you know, they're practical. They're mm-hmm. they're they're good foundation to work to build on. Uh, they make sense and they they go together. Mm-hmm. So, what are, what are your thoughts about Mr. Leonard's rules? Uh, should 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 writers actually live by rules? We've talked about living by rules or writing by rules for a few minutes. Or should they be free form? Should we have the people who are, you know, traditional writers versus the free thinkers who are all over the place? Is is, is there value to both? Of course, there is. Uh, it's just depending on what you want to say and how you want to reach folks is the question. Well, and our daughter, who is an author, has tried some experimental types of books where um, some pages were left purposely blank for, you know, to make it, it was an example of something that was happening in the book. And the readers really were up in arms because it was like, well, why'd you have a blank page in here? You know, it just, it threw me off. And it was like, the readers were not getting what was intended. Mm -hmm. So the book was not popular and eventually it came down. But I I personally, I like the story. I'm not really into the whole, um, you know, experimental fiction type of thing. Stream of consciousness can be a little tricky. But if it's well done, I'm willing to give it a chance. The problem is if you want to make a living as a writer, you kind of have to stick to that middle of the road, not throw people off too much when they're reading your works. And that's something that was pointed out to me in one of my writing classes is Stephen King can break the rules because Stephen King. Yes, yeah. people are willing to read it if it has Stephen King on the cover. Yeah, and but the point being is that but there are some there are some writers who like to push back because when they see rules, what they see are fences. Yes, what they see are fences built on all sides of them, and they can't break out of those fences, so they feel that it makes their job harder. And we got to remember that you, what you're doing here is while you are also writing for yourself, as you said, if you want to reach out and connect with people and be that kind of writer, then there are rules that readers have that they want to relate to, which is why I took down one of my books because it was just so horribly edited and put together that it just didn't sustain believability and I was embarrassed by it. So I took it down because it did break the rules and it didn't have to break the rules, but it did. And so that book is gone. Will I ever get back to it? Time will tell. Well, and that kind of ties in a little bit to what we were discussing last week with creativity where the rules kind of feel like you said it's fencing you in and it's hampering your creativity so you have to find the balance between being able to follow those rules and being able to let your creativity run free so I think the the main thing is you need to you need to know the rules Mm-hmm. When you're first working on your first draft, though, you don't have to think about the rules too much. Mm-hmm. I think that's what hampers your creativity is. And that's probably where I'm having problems is I'm expecting things to come out as a finished product during my first draft. So I'm trying to make it as perfect as possible before I write it. Mm-hmm. And that's not helping. So you need to find all those different balances between, um, you know, you can fix things to follow the rules after you've written them. The whole point is to just sit down and write it. Yeah. I think that we've pretty much gotten there. I think yeah. that we've pretty much, uh, uh, I think that we've pretty much found what we were saying in this. These are these are the very good rules, and mm-hmm. but we also have to caveat this. Like I said at the beginning of this podcast, you know, we are not successful writers. No, and but we do have long experience as readers. As readers, we have taken classes from people who are more successful in their writing careers. So we have uh, taken in that that information and we're trying to kind of make it our own. So you have to, that's the other thing, you have to really pick and choose what works for you. Right. So we may not be expert successful writers, but we do have long experience with the writing 
process and you know what works oh definitely reading i mean going back to i think when i was about four years old i've been reading pretty consistently so that's a long time to read and we have read things like hemingway and steinbeck and um you know more modern writers um oh we could just go on with you know tony tony morrison you know i mean we have a we have a broad spectrum of writers that we've read also so it's like take it with a grain of salt of course but we're not completely yeah i'm not not we're not completely lacking knowledge my english is not so good this morning yeah so here we're trying to defend here we are trying to defend our background we can't say our background so it's like yeah, that's not good. Okay, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up because, uh, you know, just because. Well, we hope you at least found it interesting. I thought that those 10 rules were very good. They're actually very common sense, as you said. Yeah. Um, they seem kind of obvious when you think about them. But when you're doing the actual writing, sometimes you don't see that. And you're just kind of writing to write. And then all of a sudden, what the heck just happened here? Right. <laughs> okay, time for the commercial. Yes. Um, no. And uh, first of all, saying uh, if you agree or disagree with this podcast, you can reach out to us through our website at carsonhume.com, where you will find this podcast, another podcast, blog posts, and other nifty things. And you can learn more about uh, two aging boomers who, you know, continue to reach for the stars, and someday we may actually grab one. Of course, when we do, we will have no idea what to do with it once we grab it, but that's the Then way we to... may have to ask for your help in figuring out what we're doing next. <laughs> yeah. But until then, uh, if you have any questions or you just want to inter- interact with us, CC is prominent on Instagram. I am prominent on Twitter. We love talking. We love interacting. We love talking to our, our listeners, both of them. <laughs> and uh, if you ever want to reach out to us, please feel free to do so. Because uh, what we really want to hear is when we are wrong. Because critical feedback makes us better podcasters, makes us better writers, and makes us better people. If you're calling us, if you if you want to reach out to us and just say that we're full of shit, that's not helpful. Tell right. us why we are full of shit, and we will be happy to engage and learn, and we can learn together. And maybe we can present something that you that you did not uh, consider when you were telling us that we were full of shit. That's very true, because we may not agree with what you think we've done wrong. But we you, may have a good reason for having done it that way, or it may have just come out that way, and we really were wrong. But uh, and we were <laughs> wrong, and we are we are happy to admit it when we are wrong. But until that time, uh, let us know what you think, and uh, we we hope that we this finds you well. We hope that it finds you healthy, and we hope that I just want to throw in one more thing. Quick, tomorrow is January seventeenth. Right. It's Betty White Day. If right. you are taking the Betty White Challenge, please let us know. We'd be interested. We donated money to our local uh, cat rescue. Yes. Here in Carson City. So, um, you know, we are proponents of healthy animals living healthy lives with families, forever families. So I just want to give a shout out to Betty White Day. Right. And remember Betty White. And, uh, you know, like I said, if you do something like that, please let us know. We'd be happy to hear more about that. Of course. But until that time, sitting across from me is CC. And across from me is JT. We hope this finds you healthy and well, and we look forward to hearing from you. And we will be back again, same bat time, same bat channel. Next week. Next week. Okay, until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye.